This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. For the vast majority of the season, it can seem like the emotional attachment to football has gone. Winning games is easy and for the first time in about a year, losing them has consequences. Even after the defeats to Crystal Palace and Leicester back in December, it didn't feel especially real. But then along comes a loss at Newcastle to hit you right in the feels. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking at where it all went wrong for City in the North East and whether it's been a fatal blow to their title hopes, even as we're only just flicking the calendar over to February. Also in today's show, we'll be reviewing City's transfer activity in January, or should that be transfer inactivity as the fax machine in the CFA offices has been collecting dust since August. With games to look ahead to against Arsenal and Everton as City's fixture list really begins to hot up, we'd better get cracking with the show. I'm your host this week, David Mooney, and I've got two City fans in the studio with me in the shape of John Hay. You are right, mate? And Neil Doyle. Hello. How are you both doing? Neil, it's your, it's your first time. How are you doing? It is, yeah. And enjoying it so far. The journey was um, good. The weather was nice. So then, like I said in, in in the start, there it's two games to look back on against Burnley and Newcastle. Two very contrasting games in the end. Um, first, I think the first thing I want to come on to is is this idea that City are quite passive with their play after scoring. I mean, we saw it against against Newcastle, for instance. We didn't see it against Burnley. They went on and, and, and battered them. But against Newcastle, City went one 0 up really early on. Could have kicked on with the game, but just didn't, John. Yeah. Um, I said during the game, it looked like every City player had took loads of Tramadol. Like, every every City player looked floppy. Um, <laughs> every time the ball came, it came to it, like, it was just one of those where every pass was just off a little bit, or it was a little bit over hit. It was, it was just one of those, wasn't it? But, I mean, why, why Neil? Why are City... Why, why so often have they been so bad when they've taken the lead? And I I'm, I'm, I'm use the phrase so bad quite wrongly because that's not true for most of the season. But in, in some games, they've looked really passive after scoring. It was the same against Leicester, wasn't it? Um, just after Christmas. Um, I think because if we do score early, the other team are sort of hesitant to concede again so soon. So they drop back. So we sort of dominate the ball without really going anywhere. Not really creating any chances. Yeah, that sort of and thing. Then, but then... The opposition get like a set piece, like um, Newcastle the other night, and um, it suddenly changes, and then they get the momentum, and actually we look vulnerable. Um, so it's not a very Guardiola thing to do, though, is it? Take your foot off the gas. And I, I mean, I, it's it's a bold accusation, I suppose, to say that City took the foot off the gas. Did they do that, or did I, they just, or did they just not have the the kind of wherewithal to carve out any chances? I th- I think they just find it too easy because because the other teams don't want to concede another goal so soon after we've scored um, and they drop back and they don't sort of pressurise us in any way. It's sort of easy just to stand there and pass the all around looking pretty without actually going anywhere. Um, but you could see Guardiola, when it was 1-0, he was he was going mad at Stones and Laporte for being too slow on the ball. I was, was going to say tearing his hair out, but he's, yeah, well, <laughs> he's yeah. not doing that, is he? No. Um, so it's like, I, I don't really... I, I, you can't you can't sort of accuse the players of being lazy either because they play so they're playing so much football to such a high standard. I suppose it's it's probably going to subconsciously catch up on you in the end that this is really easy. I don't need to put sort of hundred percent in all the time when and that's I think that's where we're tripping up. We're we're sort of assuming that we can um, keep winning and it's obviously not the case. When you look at the title race, John, eleven points dropped to teams outside of the top six. 
it's that is that a sign of complacency or is it a sign that City as reigning champions that that the, the teams outside the top six are going you know what come and come and have a go because because th- there's always that element isn't there I, I, I don't want to blame it on it it sounds stupid blaming it on luck but if you look at, um if you look at the Newcastle game it's like they had two shots on target like at the end of the day another day that that doesn't finish two one they don't win that game another day um we score when we're one nil up and we had we had a few chances, didn't we? David Silver had a chance. And Townsend doesn't score that screamer for Palace on another day, does it? And Pereira doesn't score that screamer for Leicester. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's just it's one of those that happens, doesn't it? I mean, Neil, I, I want to ask you a question now. When is when is a quick free kick allowed? Because at 1-0, that one goes in. I, I was moaning about it on Twitter. I thought it was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I mean, you can see quite good. The ref says, you know, no, you wait for my whistle. But... Does that always have to happen? Does the, does the referee always have to blow his whistle to, to take a quick free kick, or can we never take a quick free kick again? Is that the thing? I I, I don't have too much of a problem with disallowing the goal um, because he said wait for me whistle, so I guess that's what you have to do. I'm not sure what the exact law is in in terms of quick free kicks, but I mean Buckingham was sort of like school teacher. It was bizarre, wasn't it? Like I understand why he disallowed it because he he did clearly say to him wait wait until my whistle. But but booking him for that, I've seen. I'm sure I've seen players booked for taking a free kick too quickly before. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Very I've rarely seen though. I mean, I can't say any specific examples, which <laughs> I, I suppose does undermine my point a little bit. But I'm sure it's not a new thing. Like what 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 did he say to him before? And like if 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 you take this quick, I'm gonna book you because you you don't see people get booked for that at least not very often. So. But I mean, the, the, what I'm getting at though is, is why should the referee have to demand that De Bruyne waits for the the the, the whistle? In in that instance, there, for instance, um, since you've won the foul, they've had the advantage taken off them because Newcastle can get back in and, and set up. Newcastle were set up and and ready to go. The referee was jogging into his position. What's the problem with De Bruyne then taking that quick that that free kick at that point and catching them out? They did it against Burnley and scored in the FA Cup last season. Because the referee obviously thought that he wasn't in um in the position he wanted to be. And if if the referee says says it's not it's not fine it's not fine you've just sort of um, you've got to play by their rules don't you two nil changes the complexion of the game at that stage yes so I the, I don't think they were as um, defensive as they were last season um, when we played them because it I mean that was everyone on the edge of the box um, I think they gave it a little bit more of a goal but yeah definitely two nil. Yeah, changes the game, probably kills it. Um, and it, then if they do want to come and have a go at us, I mean, that's probably when we're at our best with this um, spacing behind to exploit. Is it a little bit then of a, not necessarily a concern, but a frustration that, that City had that chance, they, they scored it, it was disallowed, and then they, actually, in fairness, there was only the David Silver chance that John mentioned that they that, that, that they created in the rest of the game? Yeah. Like, like I say, I think that's... The worst... They did, Newcastle went through a stage of sort of not wanting to um, concede that second goal, so we I think we did take our foot off the gas because we were allowed to just stand there and pass it around for fifteen minutes without actually going anywhere. But the pass, then, I mean, the passing was sloppy though at times. Yeah, you, but you could see as soon as they equalised, the sort of the tempo in the passing went up um, tenfold, and it was suddenly we actually do need to score. Um, rather than just keeping the ball for the sake of keeping it, which obviously Guardiola's spoken about, he sort of despises the idea of just keeping the ball for the, for the like the benefit of nothing and not actually going anywhere. 
John, I was going to come on to, to Fernandinho and, and first question was going to be, knowing how vital he is, why do you risk him against uh, against Burnley in the FA Cup, given that he's so crucial? And then the irony is that he doesn't give away the penalty that, that cost City the game at, at Newcastle. It is, it, it's fine saying hindsight, isn't it, though? But I, d- I didn't see many people at the time going on about um, we shouldn't be starting him against Burnley. Um, I mean, in fairness to him at Newcastle as well, it wasn't entirely his fault. He, he turned into the defender, but yeah. he shouldn't have had the ball, should he? I I feel bad for um, for Gundogan. I th- I think he's had a a nice little run. Um, for him to be outside out the team, considering we've got um, we've got Arsenal at the weekend, that like I, I expected Fernandinho to be rested against Newcastle. It's just what he does in the middle of the pitch, but he, he did it in our box, which which isn't the best way forward. But it, but he shouldn't. I mean, at that stage, should Danilo not recognise that he he can't receive the ball there because he's being pressed from two sides? Yeah, but it's it's sort of pressure we deal with all the time, isn't it? It's like another day, he just lays that back to Edison. Edison passes out to Stones, and we find, um, we just he just didn't control it did it it was, it was kind of signposted Neil yeah I, I, <laughs> sorry I, coming from my off I put, I put the blame at Danilo for that because <laughs> he can see everything that everything that's going to be approaching Fernandinho as soon as he lays the ball off and he still sort of puts him under that pressure in his own box that, so that's how we play though isn't it like a lot of our game relies on us inviting pressure in so we can break through the lines so you just you kind of you, you have to accept the mistakes yeah, but then yeah. that doesn't mean you can't be criticised for those mistakes either it, it's it's not so much a criticism of like sort of the style of play or the philosophy or anything like that. It's how many other times do we play that sort of that sort of exact square pass where the receiving player's got his back to all of the pressure and he can't see what's in front of him and it's not that easy for him to lay it back to Edison. He's got to sort of take such a turn and like come out the other way. So there was Danilo could have gone back to Edison and left Fernandinho out of it. So that was I mean that's my gripe with it. When you when you look at, at Fernandinho's position, we've we've talked about how vital he is in in shows all this season. We talk, you know, we'll be talking later on about the transfer window and should they have addressed that 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 issue there. Um, I mean, all of that said, he looked he looked absolutely shattered against Newcastle. Yes, I, I mean, I was I was one of the ones that was surprised to see him play against Burnley on um, Saturday, but Guardiola said in his press conference, the Fernandinho sort of needs that. Three or four gate uh, day rest. He, he can't afford to not have the rhythm. So I mean, you've, he, he knows much more about it than than I would. So, but yeah, as someone as so vital as Fernandinho, especially sort of the age years as well, I, I was surprised that he played. Um, but yeah, it's he, he doesn't play a weekend team in, in any cup game, does he, Guardiola? Even when we're nine 0 up, he still puts um, sort of De Bruyne and Aguero out. So. John, beforehand, uh, Guardiola spoke about about trying to switch the play and 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 being able to to kind of exploit the space where it where it where it came against Newcastle. Um, he was aware of what what Newcastle would do. He said it, he said in the pre match that they would sit with five at the back and they would they would offer no space. Yeah. So is that all the more frustrating that they haven't found an answer to it? Well, yeah, but seventy five percent of games are, are going to be that, aren't they? Like in, in this league. Only when you're playing Liverpool, Chelsea, etc., you're gonna get um, teams actually coming at you. Um, well, I mean, he was asked to be fair in that same press conference. How many teams do you think actually play their natural game against you? And he went, "Well, I think Spurs." About three. Yeah, he, he, he said Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool, Liverpool, and then he then he then he just kind of went. He, he took about ten seconds and went Everton. 
and and nobody in the room really believed him when he said that. <laughs> but I, it was it was that it, it kind of shows teams change to face this city side. So City should have answers to it because it's they they're that good. We we do seem to play the same game over and over again, um, and most of the time once we've put in that first one, we we're pretty good, aren't we? Like there's not much of an issue. Well, except from in December this month. <laughs> <laughs> except from in the last two months, it's not usually an issue. But but, that, uh, but that's the thing. I mean, you you take the issue as well. They've they've taken the lead against Leicester. They took the lead against Crystal yeah. Palace. They took the lead against Newcastle. Lost a lot of them. Ironically, going into these sort of games, I always think if we get a, an early goal, that sort of sets us up to sort of see out the rest of the game or like puts us on a like a good path. Um, but yeah, like you say, three times this season. Um, yeah, I think it's complete. It, it, I, th- I can only explain it as being complacency because they just find it too easy at times because teams are, are so unwilling to step out and make it, a game of it. It reminds me a lot of Pep's first season where we, we'd go 1-0 up in games so much and there's about six home games that season where we're 1-0 up and it ended 1-1. Um, yeah, maybe it is a, a bit of complacency after we score. There's also, I mean, there's also the argument that that teams raise their game against the champions. Do you buy any buy any of that? No, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't think Newcastle were particularly good. Like, obviously, they they set up well, stopped us from playing. I thought, to be fair to them, I thought they deserved the points. I I, I came away from that game thinking City actually deserved nothing out of that game. They near our net twice, so. But the, but and it I, went in twice. But what threat did City carry? That's that that I suppose is the point. How many times? How many times? How many times did did City actually threaten the Newcastle goal? It was once. It was twenty four seconds into the game. Yeah, and after that, as you said, we've only had the the silver chance and the disallowed goal, wasn't there? Um, it's just a, a lot of a lot of passing it around. A lot of not that I want to demoralise you or anything, but <laughs> going into this into this crucial period of the season with the title race coming up. But after I think it's. Um... It it might be a good thing that we're playing teams like Arsenal and Chelsea coming up because, as we said, they're they're not gonna they're gonna they're not gonna play the way Newcastle are, and that is when we've been struggling, isn't it? At this stage of the season, Neil, do you, do you look at, at at the cups as potentially City's route to 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 success? This is they're already in the the League Cup final, but you look at the FA Cup draw as well. How that's gone after after the Burnley game, and I mean City couldn't have asked for a better draw, really. Arsenal and uh, sorry, uh, United and Chelsea get each other. And City get lower league opposition. Yeah, I think we've we've obviously got a, a great chance in both the um, domestic cups. Um, that's one thing I've. Well, it's one of the many things I like about Guardiola that he's um, he's happy to win any trophy. He doesn't regard anything as being sort of beneath him. And okay. then the Champions League's a bit of a um, anything could happen. We could get Liverpool in the quarters and. That could be the end of the road. One final thing for the uh, the first part of the show. We're going to bring a question forward from Ask the Panel because uh, Alex Temple has been in touch to ask, uh, does does City's open desperation to create a dynasty at the club create too much pressure and opens players up to, to, to failure in the long run? Because, I mean, City have not been quiet about wanting to, to, to create this this kind of Guardiola era. So you look at it like, like Ferguson had at United. Yeah. Does that put extra added pressure on them? You've always got to wonder... Um... How much the the players are sort of involved in that rhetoric? Because you hear it a lot from Haldun, chairman. Yeah, you hear it a lot from him, um, and you hear it a lot from the sort of corporate side. But I think I think a lot of City players are happy, very happy with the way um, City going. Because obviously we are aiming to to win everything, but. 
but I'm not 100% sure that that's, that's something that plays on the mind, especially during games. I, I guess the point, Neil, is that that when if you are desperate and you are openly saying, we want to do this, then you're setting yourself up for a fall if it doesn't happen. Whereas an actual dynasty, the Ferguson thing at United came about naturally. Yeah, I'd, I don't think you could ever aim to dominate the sort of the Premier League or, or Europe for the next 10 years. Even, I mean, Real Madrid have won, won what, three Champions Leagues? There's just too many teams isn't there to dominate. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they don't tend to do that well in, in the domestic league. I think you've just got to take each season as it comes, as boring as that sounds. Um, I, I mean, I, I'd, personally, I'd be happy if we won, say, six, six or seven of the next... Ten Premier League seasons. I'd be quite oh, happy geez, with that. Well, yeah. Yeah, I was say. Oh my god! <laughs> seems that, seems quite be... a decent return to be honest. <laughs> yep, I'd take that. That'd be. Um, I will only be happy with ten in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems that a lot of people have the sort of uh, opinion that we need to win the Champions League to become one of those elite clubs, and that may may be the case. But I think I'd, I'd rather get the um, sort of domestic title haul up up into the up into the teens before we. Um, Start thinking about becoming an elite club in Europe. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll we'll come back to that point, I'm fairly sure. It's been a fairly quiet transfer window for City this January, perhaps against the wishes of the fans, who will have been willing the club to add reinforcements to the squad in their bid to chase down Liverpool. I've been speaking to the Suns' Martin Blackburn to assess City's position. They've been quite clear since since the summer, really, that they weren't expecting to do a lot in January, and uh, and that's the way it sort of turned out. It was... Uh, it was you know, as I say, fairly fairly well signposted that they thought it was going to be quiet as far as, as incomings go. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably one or two fans might like to see him sign a, a left back, uh, you know, a sort of a proper left back, if you like, rather than the sort of the guys who they've had filling in, uh, given the more problems that Mendy's had uh, this season. And, and also the, the obvious one, you know, is sort of back up to uh, Fernandinho. So, uh, uh, you know, those are the ones that they will look at in the summer. So uh, Pep's obviously decided that he's got He's got enough uh, in his squad to, to sort of tackle the, the four competitions that he's in, and um, yeah, he's going to push on with what he's got. And when you, when you look at the sort of uh, the way he can change his squad uh, as he has, as he's had to in these last sort of couple of weeks uh, since the since Christmas, then uh, you sort of think, well, maybe maybe he can get through. But certainly, you know, work to do in the summer. When you look at where City are at, like you mentioned, with the left back and with the the central midfield position, um, we saw just before Christmas, you know, no Fernandinho for games against Palace yeah. and Leicester, and, and City struggled in, in how they wanted to play. Yeah. Does Guardiola have answers to that? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the, the 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 interesting one is, is is Fernandinho, I think, because he's got so many midfielders and he's sort of the the master, if you like, at, at sort of switching, you know, getting players to sort of play out of position and, and making them prosper. You know, Gundo and I always remember the game against Chelsea last season in the league. I think he broke a record, didn't he? Played that position and broke the record for a number of passes, was it, in the game? I think it was 190 odd or something. So clearly he can, you know. I think I think Pep said fairly recently that it, you know he can do it against the lesser clubs almost. The, the, you know they're not they're not so much against the elite clubs. So uh, he clearly sees something in, in Gundogan that makes him think he can play there. And of course De Bruyne played there against Burton as well. I don't think you would, given the way he played against Burnley on Saturday, you perhaps 
feel like he'd be wasted with his sort of creativity there a little bit and, and maybe his defensive work's not quite as good but you know there are there are options there and um, uh, you know, there's no doubt City wanted to get De Jong um, Dave you know they, 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 were, they, were, they were keen very keen on him I think they felt that the numbers were, were too high um, and given you know what, what Barcelona have paid and what we what we, what we believe he's, he's getting paid wages wise then probably that's true but uh, that's the sort of thing that they're going to be after you know in the summer that sort of player who's a sort of specialist in that defensive midfielder uh, and as for the, um, the the left back yeah I mean Delph and Zinchenko have both both done a good job there perhaps not as much not quite as good this season you know when you think about last season but were they properly tested last season in terms of uh, you know they were winning games so easily they were roll, rolling teams over uh, all the time so perhaps perhaps they weren't weren't quite being tested as much and maybe other teams you know there's some bright guys working around the Premier League have sort of targeted that a little bit more and that's that's perhaps worried City a little bit more it was interesting that Pep did admit a couple of weeks ago that perhaps perhaps they will look for a new left back in the in the summer so uh, we'll see about that but you know if they can get Mendy back and, and playing then who knows when you, you mentioned there the numbers with with Frankie De Jong, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. what what do you take on City's stance recently of, of yeah. not overpaying? Mm, yeah, I mean I think it's obviously a far removed from where we were. You know, perhaps when the when the Abu Dhabi takeover took over, they, they they did have to pay some huge money to players because they weren't in the Champions League, and and, and so you you know you're effectively uh, having to pay them more to sort of compensate for that. They know they're not in that position now. There there are there obviously there's been one or two. Um, uh, question marks about FFP again, so they're perhaps just being a little bit uh, cautious. But from what I gather about De Jong, I, I mean, I think you know you're looking at a 21-year-old kid who's who's only really played in the in the Dutch league, um, coming over here and and, and and coming to City and being the the best-paid player. You know, being above Aguero, above. Deploying. That's what. That's what I understand. You know, the money at Barcelona that he's going to get. So, I think you know, in some ways, you've got to respect City for for not sort of caving into that. You, you and I could both name a lot of players who've come from the Dutch league to the Premier League and not quite been all they all they were cracked up to be. You know, I think it's a big jump. Um, but with this lad De Jong, he, he is obviously a player, and Guardiola knows he's a player. He's done it in the Champions League. He's done it for Holland, and he's still only 21. So yeah, it would have been a great one for City to get. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But they have decided. You know, they made a bit of a stand. Decided it's not worth. Uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't the right deal for them. And um, and we wait and see if it's. Uh, you know, if it, if they prove right or not. You know, Pep talked last last uh, last Friday about the sort of way that the wages have, have have gone up and the the cost of deals and that. And, and City, um, it's a few now that they've missed out on. It is a few, but he, he you know he, he also said that if he starts next season with with this squad then he wouldn't be disappointed I, I don't expect that to happen for a minute I'm pretty sure that there'll be more players coming in in the summer but but at the same time you know they are determined to, to make a stand and, and perhaps with these rumours about FFP and you know talk of European bans again which I don't think will happen but with all that talk perhaps it's a, a wise wise stance to take when it comes to to the wider picture, do you think City have got City fans have got anything to worry about? It's three transfer windows in a row now where yeah. they've missed out on a on a key yeah. target. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, you, you look at just that defensive midfield position. You know, they, they've missed out on Fred and and um, and, and obviously De Jong and and Jorginho in the summer. You know, I thought uh, you know my information all summer was that Jorginho was coming here. It was a, it was a surprise when it uh, when it when it when it changed. So so yeah, there'll be a little bit uh, there'll be a little bit concerned, and of course. 
course, there was Alexis Sanchez as well. But uh, you know, it, you know, it, it, certainly in a couple of instances, they, they have they have taken that stand where the you know the deal just wasn't right for them. That it was it was too much money being asked. That the clubs were asking too much, and the player was asking too much, and they've uh, uh, and they've decided. Um, not to do it, you know, but I suppose, I suppose, you know, to going back to your question, the, the fact that they here they are still in four competitions and, and, and going quite well in all of them, you know, perhaps prefer to be slightly closer to Liverpool, but but you know, the only club really with realistic hopes of winning all four competitions would suggest that it, it hasn't damaged them too much. But but yeah, it'll be a it'll be a little bit of a concern, and um, you know, I think with among City fans you get mixed mixed views of, of Cheeky Bigiristan and, and the way he's operated in the, the transfer market. Um, he's, he's had a lot of good ones, some some not so good ones, and um, I, I think you know, as far as the the summer goes, the, the summer ahead, then, then yeah, he needs to uh, he needs to get one. Get, get one in and, and get one in that they really want as well. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Martin Blackburn chatting to me about City's transfer window this January. Now, um, obviously, be, before we move on, just want to get a quick quick word on about the transfer window. Um, I, 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 ultimately, are you concerned that City haven't gone out and, and got themselves a left-back or a holding midfielder? Because... You look at, at how this season's been going, t- they're, they're two big problem positions. They are. I'm not sure who you could get in January that would be available. Um, there might be players out there. In in terms of the left-back, I think um, a decision on Mendy would probably need to be made before we can sign a, a sort of a But they don't, a they don't have a left-back, though, do they? Because they've got Mendy, who's, who's been injured for most of the season, and Delph and, uh, and Zinchenko have clearly been, this season, midfielders playing left-backs. Yeah. They've not looked like left-backs. It's whether someone would be happy to sign for us, knowing that when Mendy's fit, Mendy probably would be first choice, even though that might not necessarily be the case. Um, the defence midfield position, for what... Um, Guardiola would want I no idea who would be sort of suitable who could just step in and and fill the um, void that Fernandinho would leave there's sort of Ruben Neves at Wolves who seems a, like a really decent player but Fernandinho t- t- gets given so much responsibility to sort of cover the fullbacks De Bruyne, Silva, Bernardo so you just you don't see someone like Neves being able to come in and just kind of go well I'll put out as many fires yeah. as Fernandinho does and I'll link the play up front as well. John, I mean it's it's the other side of it as well is it's you look at, at um uh, with De Jong as well this this transfer window. There's been several targets now from the last few windows. You look at, at Sanchez, Fred, Jorginho as well. City have wanted and not got. Does that worry you? Um, not particularly. No. Um, I think you've got to remember that City aren't the only football club in the world. Um, and players will um, will prefer to go to other places. Like if if you went to a random lad who's grew up in in Holland or whatever, would you rather play for Manchester City or Barcelona? I'm sure most of, even with Pep, I'm sure most of the time the answer to that's Barcelona. Do you wonder then if City have maybe overestimated the value of Pep, uh, the, the the kind of the, the value of being able to say, "Well, come and play for Pep." No, because I I think he is a huge drawer, obviously, and I think. He's a lot of reason. Um, a lot of the players are here at the moment, but you just can't get everyone that you want at the end of the day. It's not going to happen. And if we have this sort of wage structure that we have to adhere to, and we can't pay someone like three hundred and fifty grand a week, and someone else can, then 
there's not much you can do really, is there? Right, so we're going to move on and it's time to have a look at the games against Everton and Arsenal. Uh, we're joined also on the line by uh, Michael Kashani, who is a long-suffering Arsenal fan. Michael, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Uh, well, long-suffering, as you said. <laughs> well, I mean, the first question I wanted to ask you was, um, because obviously City and, and Arsenal played each other on the opening day of this season, there wasn't really much time to get into what Emery was doing at, at the club. Um, how, how is it in the post-Wenger era at the moment? Uh, not much better, if anything. Well, bits are, the, bits are worse, bits are a little bit better. It's just oh, the overall result is about the same, and it's more demoralising for the fact that we seem to be adamant on not making the most of what we do have. The the Ozil and Ramsey situations are the sort of the ones that stand out most. So obviously we put a lot of money behind Ozil with his new deal. You can argue the merits of whether he warranted it or not. You can well you can do that all day. The fact is they've done it. So you might as well move to extract the most value from it because we're not getting rid of him anytime soon. And yet we've we've got a manager whose idea of a number ten is what I'd consider a defensive midfielder. And is uh, the same with Ramsey. I don't. I have no idea how the situation came to came to be what it is. Because you hear one thing from one place, you hear one thing from another place. No one really knows anything. But the fact is, we're losing a really great midfielder for nothing, and we're also barely playing him in the process. So when you when you consider all that, I mean, a visit to City on the weekend is that you, you you've just seen them lose to Newcastle. Is that a, a positive or a negative in this this instance? We were at home to Cardiff last night and were not by by not by almost anything the better team. I'm, I have absolutely no confidence for the weekend. Well, it's uh, I mean, John, hearing somebody say that, even after you've watched City struggle to 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 get anything out of the game with Newcastle, you must be feeling confident now. Um, I thought Arsenal fans are always a bit like that, aren't they? Though, like, oh, we rubbish, we rubbish, and then uh, they'll come in. One of their random lads will um... knock five past you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just I I grew up with with Arsenal being very um very good. Same. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I I never used to expect anything from Arsenal games. I think I think it's carried on a little bit. Um. E- even with with whatever's happening over there. Neil, when you again when you're looking in the context of the of the Newcastle game, um, what's your mood like going into this one now? I think it's sort of a really good game to have, to be honest, because if we played sort of Cardiff at home, for example, or Huddersfield, there's a chance that we could sort of go through the motions. So having someone who can challenge us like Arsenal, they've got like two two of the best centre forwards in the in the league. I mean, if we don't turn up, they are definitely good enough to do us damage. So I think it's in a strange sort of way. It's a it's a good fixture to have, especially being at home as well. Cash, what's changed since the start of the season? Since since the, the teams last met. Honestly, not all that much. We don't really have. It was his first game, so you don't. Want, I didn't want to judge him too much on the City game at the start of the season. But there wasn't much of a plan. There wasn't much organisation. It was tough to see what he was trying to achieve. And five, six months on, it's the exact same situation. So, how do you see them trying to stop? I mean, will they try and stop City, or will they try and impose their own game on 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 the match, or what? What are they likely to do? Well, it's it's tough to say because with the best performances we've had this season have all been at home against the top six, and that's where we've shown that kind of that boldness that we haven't against almost any other version of teams. The Liverpool, we haven't really played them away. So Chelsea away was the um, was second game of the season. Again, that's kind of a write-off under context. Uh, Liverpool, well, we all saw what happened there, but we, it's it's a very weird one, that game. So I think we'll at least try and, try and impose ourselves a bit, but in a sort of counter kind of way, if that makes sense. Try and take the game to City, but we're very much protecting ourselves at the same time and try and hit you on the counter, stay compact, press well. 
And yeah, so I, I mean, I say I have no confidence for it and I don't, but it's, it would be interesting to see if a squad in relative shape, apart from our defence, can can at least pull out a performance that doesn't make you want to pull your own teeth out. <laughs> well, John, I mean, you watched City against Newcastle and Newcastle sat back, they defended all the space and City had nothing to work with. If Arsenal kind of you can't you don't imagine Arsenal doing playing any sort of game plan like that, so there should be some space for City to work with. Yeah, there's there's that um there's that sort of thing when it when a team comes at you. Well well not I don't know how what the extent will be to um that they'll come at us, but when a team's not sat back basically two rows of five um, City play a lot better, don't they? Well, Guardi, yeah. I mean, Guardi always spoke about it ahead of the Newcastle game about about when you've got a back five, you don't have the room to to play that that crossfield ball that they like to to kind of switch the play. I mean, Arsenal would be they, they would be daft, wouldn't they, to to not expect City to do something like that? Yeah, yeah. but I, I I feel like that that's sort of Arsenal thing to do, isn't it? Though, um, it's is, it, not, is it cash? It, is it Arsenal? Is it an Arsenal thing to do? It's, 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 it's tough to know at the moment under new management, but I, I will say that I don't. I'm not even sure if we have the defenders to go five at the back. Like with um, Koscielny is still unclear. Socrates is out. Mustafi is. He seems to pick up an injury, but I think he'll be fine. Like we played Monreal at centre back in a two on um on Tuesday night. We um we got this kid Mavropanos who might be fit, but we, yeah we've got two fit senior centre backs and one of them's a child. <laughs> Neil, so. I have no idea what what even our defence will look like at that stage. Neil, the pressure's on City though now. They've obviously they they, they lost to Newcastle. It, really, the title race could be could well be over if it's not already. It could be over by uh, by by not getting nine points in the next three games. You'd say. Oh uh, yeah, I I don't think we can look to drop points at any game. Obviously, we're not. You don't try. aim to drop points. Yeah, I know you what you mean. You aim yeah. to drop points, but I don't think we can afford to drop any more points for the rest of the season. I, I mean, I thought that before Tuesday, but. It, Especially now, um, and we've got like the next three games are really difficult, so we probably need nine points out of nine. Otherwise, it is over. But I think they are good in a weird sort of way. They are good games to have because they know the challenge is going to be there from the opposition. So if it, if they don't turn up, it'll be um, game over. It'll definitely be um, even though it is it, it's not exactly Liverpool, it's Arsenal, but um, it's quite a big confidence boost in it, coming off the Newcastle game if we manage to get a result. Kesh, just one one final question on Arsenal. Does I mean you, you look at the title picture and and the way City are, are, have have kind of fallen away a little bit in the in the last few weeks? Do you, does that give you hope of an upset, or does it does it kind of give you a little bit of a fear that that City might turn up and go? You know what, we need to make a statement here. A little of both, really. But I think I'm I'm more of the mind that a, a City wounded from a game like yesterday is just going to come back and show no mercy, and absolutely put us to the sword. But then that's that's more the pessimistic angle. Right, well, we'll be uh, we'll be doing the charity bet a bit later on in the show, so uh, give us your prediction for, for the game, Cash. What are you going for? I uh, said yesterday, I said to you 3-0. I'm going to go 3-1 City. 3-1 City. Okay, well, yeah. uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get the odds for that a bit later on, and we'll uh, we'll let you know. Just before we let you go, though, um, obviously you've been following Schalke a lot recently, so uh, and City have got a game against them coming up. Um, just very quickly, what, what can City expect from them? Uh, that, uh, we've been a mess all season, really. Uh, and what what we were good at last year was very very solid defensively and giving very little away in terms of chances and then taking the chances we got a classic sort of climber team this season that defensive organization just hasn't been there and you can see the team's confidence in itself has really evaporated we come back from the winter break a bit stronger well it's only been two games but seems to be a little bit more solidity there and definitely a bit more of that belief that they had last year that took us to second but 
I I would be very surprised if it's even close by the end of the second leg. But, you know, with Guardiola's away record in the Champions League, or at least in knockout ties, I could see a decent result in Gelsenkirchen followed by a battering in uh, City. <laughs> well, uh, fingers crossed you're right on that one at, uh, at the very least and City make it through to the next round. I would say all the best for the Arsenal game, but, you know, I don't mean it because City really need the points at this stage. So... Uh... I- Given how the, the alternative is Liverpool winning the league, I'm not even sure I want all the best. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, so thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So we're going to move on now and have a look at the game with Everton. We're also joined uh, by this one from the Blue Room podcast, David Downey. I very, I very nearly said uh, Blue Moon podcast then, but you're definitely not with us. Um, unless actually you might be actually for, for this coming game, because I, I, you must be between a rock and a hard place right now, given that you, know, you beat City, you probably hand Liverpool the title. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a particularly difficult predicament to be in. To be honest with you guys, uh, I mean we we're not no strangers to it uh, because we played you guys when you basically took it off them in thirteen fourteen I think, and uh, it was a really strange atmosphere at Goodison that afternoon when Ross Barkley put us ahead. Um, I presume you guys remember that, and then uh, I think we made it three two in the dying seconds as well. And there's a little bit of an nervy end, and I think many Evertonians were stood there confused themselves. But <laughs> I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have an eye on that sort of thing, given the fact that our season's pretty much over. But then again, I mean, we, we have five of the top six in succession at Goodison, so I mean, something has to give in order for Marco Silva to get the full support of, of the fan base on his side. Well, yeah, I mean, the other thing that that kind of possibly helps possibly doesn't help with this one is that the game's been moved kind of really quickly mm. into and it's it's kind of approaching all of a, approaching us all of a sudden what's the reaction been like on Merseyside to that yeah i mean it, it, we pretty much figured after the, uh, the the close encounter that was the 9-0 against Burton Albion that the fixture might get <laughs> um and yeah i mean it, it comes at a, a strange time really because when we play you guys i think we we play that fixture and we don't have another game for 17 days after that um, so I mean it, it's very much a case of sort of enjoying it while it lasts to be honest with you in terms of fixtures because rather depressingly I think we've only got like 15 games left between now or 14 games left between now and the start of the new season in August so it's pretty grim to be honest with you but um, from, a, from a fan perspective all you're really looking at is, is Marco Silva to kick on hopefully secure 7th place which might well be Europa League um, and, and, then, and then looking to build again in the summer so, I mean, in terms of motivation, there is that. But I wish, I mean, it's season after season with us, despite spending amounts that you guys would probably even deem a big amount of money on players in recent years. We, Trust me, there's we, no amount of money that's too much for, for a player. Not, <laughs> not anymore. No, no, I understand that. Not anymore. But, I, I mean, a lot of Evertonians have sort of compared this sort of um, influx of cash from Farhad Mashiri to the early days at City. In, in 2008, where it tended to be just splashing, I think about the Rubinho transfer, for instance. And whilst we haven't had anybody on that level, like because he was a, he was a global superstar at the time, we've we've just thrown cash about like we're Emperor's New Clothes, you know. Um, like we've just gone to Harrods in London with with a with checkbook and basically said, "What have you got for us?" And they've sold us anything. Um, and and that's been the frustration in the last few years, certainly since David Moyes left as well. Um, we've just been a, a shambles off the pitch but fortunately enough not, not too bad to make it hurt in, in real terms and, and suffer what you guys again I mean I see a lot of similarities between Everton and City uh, and I certainly hope in the next decade or so we, we're, we're reaping the benefits like you guys are but um, in terms of being in the shadow of another club in the City and things like that I mean it's uh, 
it's a difficult time. You, you'll know exactly how we're feeling, I presume. Well, it's, um, I, let, let me just say at this stage, it's, it's yeah. nice to emerge from the shadow and, and come out the other side yeah. of it and, you know, be, be the ones then cast in the shadow. So it's uh, it, it, that, yeah. that bit is good fun if it, if it ever comes along. Uh, Neil, I want, to, I want to ask you about the about the fixture kind of scheduling because you look at City's week. Um, I mean, David's just said that. Everton have another game for, for, for like 17 days after. City, of uh, you're looking at a fixture list of Arsenal, Everton, Chelsea. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how it works because the because of the Champions League and um, potential cup replays. If there was much scope for it to go anywhere else other than maybe the back end of the season, but that, um, I mean the the problem with that one is that's probably where the Manchester derby will go because because you look at the City's FA Cup run. If one of City or United wins in the next round of the FA Cup, the derby's going to move. Well, yeah, there you go. It's, it sort of seems the type of thing that um, they do in Spain, like sort of announce a game a week before it's due to take place. Um, don't tend to do it. In the in the Premier League, but I mean, I guess there's no other um, place for it to go. It's obviously not ideal, and being in the middle of um, two tough games against Arsenal and Chelsea, but I suppose we've just got to we've just got to get on with it and um, try and win the game. I guess. John, do we look at this fixture as one that that City struggling because of being scarred by the David Moyes era and and, and just not being able to get a single point of Everton home and away for about fifteen years? Yeah, it's it's a bit of an odd one because. Um, I was sort of brought up to hate, obviously, United, Spurs, and Everton. And um, Spurs, there's no real reason for it, is yeah, there? Yeah, Spurs like, and Everton. Like, Everton, like, they're fairly inoffensive, aren't they, at the end of the day? Um, yeah. Tragically. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is a bit of a worry because, obviously, you remember the, the um, even recently, like, the 4 0 at Goodison. Um, in Guardiola's first season, I, I completely blanked that. I, that that one was that had gone in the you know in the memory banks and just been locked away nicely. Wasn't that when Bravo turned into a um, little hologram and um, him was just going straight through him? <laughs> Are you going to have to narrow that one down? I was going to say it's, it's pretty much all of his first season. Hasn't it? I mean, David, I want to ask you about about the I mean the way City of you've watched them play against Newcastle this week and and obviously you know Newcastle sat back soaked up the pressure and City didn't really have any answers. Obviously there's a there's a game in between all that, but is that the sort of thing Everton are likely to do or is Marco Silva likely to go actually you know what we're we're going to go at you. God, it's a really interesting point to make because um I think that we're in in a situation now where I mean he has a hell of a lot of detractors. I mean I, I'm I'm a fan who's on his side to be honest with you. I think he needs time uh, given the shambles that he inherited from Allardyce and also the the disaster of recruitment that we've had in previous years. I actually think he needs time. But when we're at Goodison, I would I would go as far as saying Goodison's at its lowest ebb right now. Um, you know, you guys will probably remember going there and, and, and finding an intimidating atmosphere a few years ago, even under David Moyes, when he sort of had this siege mentality and he would sit, sit, sit his team back as long as he could, not concede, and then he'd have a 20-minute pocket of possession where he'd hope to score and, and capture the game. Um, with this, the way the silver's gone and the narrative's gone this season, I, I think that there'll be a pressure on him to actually try and get at City, which could result in an absolute disaster because at, at the end of the day, that's what you guys do the best is, is put teams to the sword when they actually try and get at you and they try and get up the pitch. So it's, it's quite the dilemma for him, really. But the, the way the, the season's panned out, like I said, I don't think we've got too much left to play for. I don't know whether he'll approach it with a mentality of, well, we've got nothing to lose here, really. Um, and I, I guess that many fans would, would be appeased by that, thinking that we're going to go and have a real go at City. But then, you know, you look at Newcastle and what they did, there's a, definitely a blueprint there, I think, this season that wasn't there last year that 
says that that's the way you do it against City and that's how you best place to get results against them. I mean, one final question before we got into some predictions. Um, obviously, it was um, a controversial afternoon evening against Millwall. Um, mm. when, when you then look at, at the game against Huddersfield, was that a convincing bounce back or was it, it felt, I don't know if it felt a bit stuttered. Yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't the prettiest, the game, it was a bit of a treacherous trip over to, uh, to West Yorkshire, to be honest with you. Um, and when we, when we arrived, there was no real anticipation that we were going to get anything. And I actually felt sorry for the, the team and players, to be honest with you, because they completely let us down against Millwall, but it was a game that I felt that, they had everything to lose against Huddersfield and, and not much the game really because of Huddersfield's situation where they're you know, basically relegated already. Worst team in the league. What do we really get from beating them? Um, but nonetheless, it was a scrappy affair. It was a, a real sort of tergy of the match to, to watch on the eye. Uh, took the lead after three minutes and I thought then we'd, we'd go on and, and win the game comfortably. But Huddersfield made it difficult and I think coming, coming away from a game with a battling performance like that and, and nicking it 1-0 feels a little bit more pleasing than if we'd have gone there and sort of wiped the floor with them in many ways because it's the battling qualities and character that's been under question, certainly since that Millwall game. Um, and and they, they passed that test. We had Tom Davis who come in for Adrissa Gay who, for all intents and purposes, looks like he's gone to PSG now. Um, that's a real issue for us, who, who fills that void and... He stepped up to the mark, albeit only against Huddersfield. But again, he, I mean, if there's one team he'll relish playing, it is City. Like you mentioned, that 4 0, that's where he sort of. He got his goal, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So um, hopefully he's got that in his locker again. He's been under a hell of a lot of pressure in, in, in his early career. So hopefully he's the man that replaces it just again. We don't see much of a difference in the, in, in the personnel in there. But yeah, I mean, it was it was much needed victory and one that I think will will give Silver a little bit more time. And we've got Wolves on Saturday, and, and we all know what can happen against them because they're a really difficult side to play sometimes. Right. Well, there were unfortunately no wins this week on the charity bet, but William Hill is giving each of our team a ten pound correct score single on City's matches, with the winnings going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. We're up to six hundred and thirty-eight quid for the season. Cash has got his uh, prediction in for Arsenal uh, was three-one. Uh, That's seventeen to two, so eighty-five quid if he's right. Neil, what are you having for uh, for the Arsenal game? I think we'll bounce back three-nil. Three-nil is uh, eight to one for uh, so eighty quid. Uh, John, what did you what did you go for? Um, well, my mum went for this, and it's um, it's two-one. <laughs> Two one uh, to City is another eight to one uh, shot, so uh, eighty quid if we're right. David, I'm going to give you uh, my charity bet for for the Everton game. What are you having? Yeah, I think um, I find it difficult, and given the the, uh, the backdrop you give to me coming on your show with uh, with the, the eyes on Liverpool in our city, um, I don't think too many Evertonians would be that disappointed if it resulted in a in a loss that where there's not much on the line for us. So I'm going for two one to City. I think we'll score, but I think City will have too much. Two one to City. Uh, Neil, what are you yeah. having? Well, I don't, I'm not anticipating a great game. I don't think it be might, might be a scrappy 1-0. Scrappy 1-0 for Neil. John, what are you having? Um, well, my mum's gone for um, 2-0. Well, your, your mum's good at these predictions, though, so maybe no. you can earn a bit of money. <laughs> it's not, oh, she's not really got one not right yet? No. <laughs> right, fair enough. Uh, well, 2-0. Uh, we haven't got the odds for the uh, for the Everton game, unfortunately, because it's been moved and the uh, the odds aren't out yet. Uh, but we will tweet them, so, uh, so go and have a look at, at Blue Moon Podcast before the game and we'll, uh, we'll let you know what the odds are for those. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. David, uh, I, again, I said this to Cash, but uh, but I don't really wish you the best of luck for the game because um, City <laughs> need the points. So uh, so I'm sorry about that. But I hope you enjoy I'm not sure it. I, do. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoy it in some in some way. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Right, so we're moving on. And City go back to Wembley soon, though. If you were to ask Maurizio Pochettino, it might not be their top priority. Howard Hawking disagrees with him, though. Why 
embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Different times than that. As a child, I used to go to my cousin's house, a street or two away, adorned in full city kit, socks included, to watch two teams, none of which were ever Manchester City, play in the FA Cup final. Not sure why, but there you go. In those days, the day of the final was an occasion after all. The tribalism was largely absent, the game itself was simply a big, big deal, in a world of three TV channels and games of conkers without protective eyewear. Still, no more attire would have sufficed, but I guess it was an event for all fans. The TV was turned on in the morning and stayed on. The build-up to the match was a major part of the event, from the recap of the road to Wembley, the discussion on teams, to the excitement as said teams disembarked from the coach, with cheery waves and occasional moustaches bristling in the London breeze. The mythical Twin Towers, Wembley Way, the pomp and ceremony, abide with me, over-tight shorts, jumpers for goalposts, different times than that. FA Cup moments have been enshrined in club's folklore. It matters. Even nowadays, when teams don't take cups as seriously, it still matters. And to me, Wembley was mythical. As the years progressed, it became even more mythical, as I harboured little hope of City ever playing there, carried scant hope of watching my team walk out the tunnel, led by Mel Machin or Alan Ball, or Steve Coppel, who couldn't even stay at the club long enough to manage just one FA Cup tie. Eventually, City broke the duck in typical fashion, a third-tier playoff final. Not how I'd envisaged it, to be honest, scrapping for survival on a miserable rainy day, but thankfully the occasion had its own charms, as it turned out. You can stick your treble up your arse sideways. I'd experienced the thrill of Wembley in the best possible manner. FYI, full members' cup finals don't count. Anyway, last week my Manchester City booked their sixth final date at Wembley in the past decade. Let's be honest, they had essentially booked it earlier than last week. Those six visits before you chuck in a few semi-finals, a few community shields, ignoring the fact Spurs currently play there. It was so nailed on, I'll admit the training accommodation was booked as soon as the semi-final draw was made. Not only have I now been to Wembley, I know the best way there, I know the London underground lines, I know the nearest hotels to Euston, the alternative places to stay within the M25. I'm already sick of Euston, but still fond of the Euston tap. Because if you're tired of a good pub, you're tired of life. And it got me wondering to whether going to Wembley will ever get boring, will ever feel like a chore. Surely not, but eventually you just get used to it, I guess. And never as a child could I have envisaged saying that in my lifetime. Though in those days, I didn't know what envisaged meant anyway. And it got me wondering about Maurizio Pochettino and managing a club as a business concern, rather than a desire for your fan base to have as many magical days as possible. Now I think Pochettino is doing an excellent job. He simply does not have the resources of City and has built up an excellent squad that plays attractive football. A new stadium has only hampered his attempts at reinforcements even further. By slowly building, he perhaps hopes one day to compete on all fronts. But nevertheless. Maurizio Pochettino may well be a fine manager, but he's wrong on winning trophies. Because winning trophies matters. It's the essence of being a football fan much of the time. I'm not saying that from a position of arrogance, claiming that winning makes my club better than yours, that it's all about winning, but the hope that your club may persevere and have their time in the sun is what keeps many of us engrossed, keeps us going. Watching another club's captain lift a trophy makes me jealous. If you sat down a football fan as a child, or adult for that matter, and told them that the team they had just chosen to support would never win anything, would never get promoted, would never lift a single piece of silverware at any point, they'd soon change their mind about who they supported. They'd change teams, or follow darts or dressage instead, maybe. 
Sport is about winning as much as it is about taking part. If it isn't, why celebrate a last-minute winner? Why celebrate anything? The manager whose only incentive is a top-four place or to avoid relegation denies his club's fan base the chance of magical memories that last a lifetime. I understand the implications, mostly financial, of finishing in that top four. I do understand it and the importance of Champions League football, but there must be more to life, to this sport, than that. Trophies only help egos, said Pochettino last week. What a bizarre comment. What they actually do is help mentality. They make your players want to stay. They make them endure sideways sleet on a February morning in Beswick. Winning breeds winners by definition. And for City it breeds a mentality of success for the club after such a barren spell in their history. The three previous League Cup wins carried their own importance beyond the trophy itself. Pochettino might not have City's resources, but if you're not going to try and win trophies, then what is the point? While you admit so publicly, how can you expect the players to perform? And as a fan who knows their manager is not invested in every competition you enter, where is the hope? You see, there's a reason that Spurs fans still talk about Ricky Villa's solo goal at Wembley, and not Peter Crouch's goal at the Etihad to secure fourth place in the league. There's a reason this week's defeat to Newcastle hurt more than just because of the level of performance. It hurts because it may be the difference between winning or not winning a trophy. A big trophy. Against a rival, or so they'd have you believe. The trophy that as a fan lets you spend the summer strutting about due to something you had no control over. Now City may suffer for trying to win everything. Could fatigue have played a part in this week's defeat when City have played four times since a Liverpool player last kicked a ball in anger? Maybe, we'll probably never know. But I wouldn't have it any other way. These cup runs, these chances for Wembley visits and your captain climbing the steps to lift the trophy are what it's all about, Community Shield accepted. It's the essence of being a fan. Last week a new ground ticked off, next month Wembley. The FA Cup with one other big team left in it by the quarter-final stage offers another great chance of further glory. And City, a team that have never retained a trophy, need to ingrain a winning mentality into whoever wears the shirt even after a glorious decade of more ups and downs. And for that reason, I hope Pep never changes his principles. Hi, this is Ian Bishop. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions. You can do it on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well via the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. There's a contact button on there. Go and have a look. There's also uh, all of our old interviews are on there as well. So uh, do go and check those out. Uh, first question comes from Jonathan Timms on the emails. He asks, should Vincent Company be given a contract extension even if he's not able to play many games in the near future? Neil, you're not in along there yeah I think he should no doubt um, after what 10 years of service to sort of well 11 years it'll be at the end of this season I think just got to give him another year it looks like Otamendi's um, probably had enough of being third or fourth choice for the last couple of years oh so. my god he he's saying that he wasn't happy about that was he well, when he, uh, when he got um, asked about that so I'd imagine he'd go probably um, to Spain um, it, I, we've, I mean it just depends on whether he thinks Eric Garcia is ready to be um, a permanent fixture in the first team. He looks he looks great so far, but obviously he's only played against what Rotherham and um, Burton. So yeah, yeah, I'd definitely keep company. Um, but like I say, he, he he doesn't need to play that many games as he's shown against Liverpool. He's he always seems to be 
still, got, he's still fit, got it, hasn't he? Yeah. When he's yeah. fit, he's capable of coming in and putting in that sort of performance. So, yeah, I'd keep him. John, what, what, what's his contract situation? Sorry. Well, his contract runs out at the end of the season. This, um, this season. Yeah. Um, right. But, I mean, th- there comes a point, though, where you know he, he, his body clearly isn't going to be up to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if he's going to spend more time out injured than he is available. On, on this one, I don't, I, I don't particularly agree with Neil. Like, as much as... As much as obviously, obviously, ideally, you'd want him to stay here forever, um, and you can build this dream up in your head about him like eventually taking over someday and all that jazz. Um, but but if he's not up to it, he's not up to it. He's like if his contract's up at the end of the season. But is he not someone worth having around the club for for just his but, character? But, but will he be happy with that though? Like like if he's not playing an awful amount, if if he's injured all the time, will, will he be happy with just like sort of? milling about the CFA but I mean what if what if the contract is what what if his role in the contract is of some sort of coaching capacity as well speculation isn't it well it is but I mean <laughs> again you, you look at the number of players who have this sort of thing I mean you look at Ledley King for, for, for years and years and years at Spurs an absolute Spurs legend wasn't yeah. able to play for the vast majority of the end of his career yeah but... well that, that's been the case for company for, God, for the last long? four years yeah, yeah so but... I, the coaching sort of um, option, I I think company sees himself probably a bit bigger than that. Maybe going up to like sort of boardroom level and being sort of a director or so. I I, I don't know what the plan is. To sort of keep him. Um, Has there ever been a situation in, where a player's been the on the board? <laughs> um, well, I know PK at Barcelona is talking about one day running for president. Yeah. Um, so. I, I, mean, I think a lot of this depends on whether he's going to shift Otamendi on in the summer, isn't it? Um, because if you see Otamendi go, I don't think you particularly want to see company go. Like You, you don't want to shift on two of your four centre-backs, do you? I suppose it, it's a big change. But also, I suppose, in, in that, that situation as well, company knows at this stage he's not first choice because first yeah. choice will always be Laporte and Stones for the next few years. Yeah. So when he put when when that if there's a contract offer and it comes and it lands on his table and he and he comes to sign it, he knows he's signing there to be a backup to the first team more often than not and to be part of the rotation. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how happy he is with that. Because um, obviously he he does love the club, but but is he going to get any? Is he going to get a first team place elsewhere knowing his injury record? Just who knows, David? <laughs> who I, think, knows? I think he I think he realizes he's. he's Talking about um, dynasties earlier, I think he realised he's part of a sort of special group and the achievements that were made last season. I mean, he still played what 15, 15 20 he's games a big last, part season. Of last season. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's still, I mean, he, he's, he's played a fair about this season. Yeah, yeah, as well. he'll loads, still play. But... Still plays fair share of games. I think for someone who's I don't know how old, how old is he now? Thirty two, thirty three. Uh, he's he's older than me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there'll there'll always be plenty of games for him. Um, and surely at this point he sort of understands that he can't play every week. So um, why, yeah, why not stick around? Obviously, everyone at the club seems to love him. I'd, I'm not aware of too many people who'd be sort of happy to see him go, even if they do think that maybe next year would be one year too far. Neil, you mentioned the Liverpool game earlier on in the show as well. Just, just I mean, that ability to come into the game and. You know, I I don't think he played for a couple of weeks before that, and then put in that sort of performance in what ultimately at that stage was City's biggest game of the season. Yeah, he he, he seems to have that swagger about him when he gets to big games. I remember there seemed to be a stage when we played United, and he just had he seemed to have Rooney in his in his pocket. Um, obviously, there was times when Rooney 
damaged us. But the big games when he he just kicked Rooney to pieces and um, yeah, he, he just seems to have that big big sort of big game capacity to um, deliver when it matters. You've got to be honest. So on another day, he could have been sent off versus Liverpool, like and that that's completely rewrote what what we're all saying here. Like I, th- I think we'd all be saying he's he's well past it and all that if if he would have gone. Would we though? Would we? Would we honestly? Yeah, I, I mean, he did, he did it again. He got sent off against United in the was it the FA Cup game? Yeah. When yeah. he went in, exactly, exactly like that. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think anyone's thought of him any less after that. So I, I, yeah, I, I think sure. I think that would have signalled. It, yeah, it, it, people would have been. There would have been some people saying it's time for him to go. He's, he's but it would have been a lot easier in a game in, like that. As but well. in, in that game, in that situation, it would with that challenge, it would have been a lot easier to blame the referees for making the wrong decision. Whether oh, or not, yeah. whether or not you, you you talk about whether it's excessive force or whatever. You, you, oh yeah, I don't uh, think it was a red card. No, but, I don't think it was a red card either. And that's yeah. that, that. Ultimately, that you would say, well, it's it's the wrong decision. So there's not a problem with the challenge. Not a problem with the player. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but it, it's just the whole thing. He'd be out for three games after that. When would he come back in? Would we see him again this season? He didn't play the three games after, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> didn't he? No, he went because he, he. You don't remember? He left the game early because he was. Uh, he, he, I think he was cramping up, or he, was, he picked up Tired. a knock, and he couldn't. He, he said, "Look, there's going to be an aerial bombardment," and he. he oh said, yeah, he did, did. Yeah, he I, need, to I need to come off. off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I mean it's it, it's a it's a funny one. If let us know what you think, at Blue Moon Podcast. Tell us what you think about uh, about Vincent Company and his future. Um, finally, Nick Crawford's been in touch on Twitter. Is there a lack of leadership at City when Company or De Bruyne are absent from the team? And I suppose that that kind of digs into to what you class as leadership, um, because Company's kind of the figurehead for leadership, isn't he? But I suppose what the question is getting at is that are there any other leaders on the pitch? I think it's um, sort of hard to say. Fernandinho is not the type of person who, who, who can get sort of people going. Um, obviously, I think David Silva. You can't. He's not the company sort of captain. Doesn't thump who, his chest. Yeah, no, yeah. But you can't help but if you're in the same team as him, sort of want to. He, he rallies him the troops raise, as well, Silva. Like he's not. He's not like fully reserved. He does try and like. I like, think he, he more for sort it. of leads by example, though, doesn't he? Yeah, and like even even Aguero, who is just appears to be silent on the pitch players like that when they put sort of those devastating performances that they can do it's hard to not sort of want to follow them so yeah I, I get the um, feeling that company obviously is um, kind of like, captain, it's, it's very, it's very obvious isn't it time, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no I, I don't think it's a leadership issue um, certainly hope not I'm not sure yeah, I'm not sure De Bruyne would be um, the second in command De Bruyne, is, De Bruyne is quite. I think De Bruyne is quite a strong character. As I said, he's 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 the one. He's he, like a lot more so than David Silva. Like he rallies people, doesn't he? Like he, you he just think very that, emotionally that, that whole let me in talk games. Thing. Yeah, yeah. He gets very invested in games. Um, I, I think the problem with this is that um, leadership. It's it's very hard to quantify um, what what counts as leadership, and it's very easy when you lose to point the finger at, at it and go. Oh, there's no leaders on the pitch. But if if we win, it's it's not something that's ever mentioned. Like, oh, thank God we've got all these leaders on the pitch. It's the quality of the football. Yeah, yeah, the, it's the, the football, the, the way they've played. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, ninety five percent of the time, the issue is the football. Like, the football's not good enough when we lose. Or they've so. been sloppy, or there's yeah, been yeah. mistakes in there. Yeah, I mean, one other kind of 
thing I want to mention on this leadership thing is, is, is you look at, at Laporte and Stones when they're together. I actually think they they bounce off each other when it comes to sort of leadership. They they kind of inspire each other into doing what what Guardiola wants them to do. Yeah, it, it's weird because when we don't have company on the pitch, like it is hard to pick out like a natural leader, isn't it? Um, but but are, are we are we past that point in football where you need this big? Um, like, like you need you need a spear effort, see like a John Terry or or someone like Fernand. Do do we need that? Like, look, we got a hundred points last season, and you you're not pointing at many people on that pitch and going, oh, you're you're big and hard and tough, and you're the one who's going to bring us forward. So. Yeah, it's hard to say. Well, that's it for this week on the Blue Moon Podcast. And if nothing else, we hope it's been a cathartic experience for you. If you want a little bit more, then you can get some bonus podcasts by supporting the show on Patreon via patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. There's an extra show each week, usually about 15 or 20 minutes long, and on a random city topic as well. This week's is all about famous city comebacks, given the picture at the moment at the top of the table. That's available for everyone who backs just $2 a month, so you'll get four or five shows for your money, and you'll get access to blogs by me and Richard Burns throughout the season as well. Special thanks to my two guests in the studio this week, to John Haight. Cheers, mate. It's been a pleasure. And Neil Doyle. Thanks very much. You enjoyed your first time? Ate it. Very good. Good I'd, to hear. I'd just like to say Neil's been brilliant. He has, hasn't he? Yeah. It's been great. So uh, so we'll, we'll hopefully see you again soon. I've been your host, David Mooney, and we'll see you soon. Take care. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast